0: Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, Frank Flake here, and welcome to your Sophisticated Property Investing podcast, the place where we have, for the last 200 plus episodes, been helping you to make lots of money from property by investing in a sophisticated manner rather than in a traditional methodology so today i am going to be helping you to answer the first of our top five most commonly asked questions from new clients and I get asked these five questions a lot so what I thought I'd do is I would sit down and spend one episode on each of those questions so let me share with you the question that I think I get asked the most by new clients and this is what does a deal look like so how do I recognize a property that I should buy at a price that works for me using strategies that I can do. So what does a deal look like? And where can I find it? And I know that sounds really simple, really, really simple. But it's a very, very common question. And I think most property investors just want to answer that. What does a deal look like and where can I find one? So that's our our topic for today. I will briefly um, share with you the other four questions that we are going to be answering in this mini series. The second question is how to negotiate a deal. So you found the property and now you want to negotiate it how do you go about that who do you speak to what do you say how long do you take how do you secure it once you've got a uh, an agreement so how to negotiate a deal once you find one that's the second one the third question that comes up a lot i don't necessarily get asked it but it does rear its head loads is yeah but i'm too busy How can I invest in property if I'm really busy with my own business or I'm really busy with my day job? Often this is from people with money. They don't want to go full-time in property. They don't want to quit their day job or quit their business and do property full-time. They just want to get going with building their portfolio. So if you're busy, how can you invest? I'll be answering that. That's our third topic of this mini-series. The fourth one is how to educate yourself. There are so many courses, YouTube episodes, podcasts, (laughs) three day seminars, half day seminars, paid for courses. There's so many out there from so many different providers. And in fact, I was asked just yesterday morning from someone, where should I go to educate myself? Who should I pay money to? How much time should I spend to educate myself? So it's a constantly evolving marketplace. So I will, in that episode, answer that question. What education would I recommend for someone who is wanting to invest some time in learning about sophisticated property investing? And finally, and this is by far the most Common question, I think, after the previous four is what strategies should I be using? As you guys know, if you're a regular listener, we have 62 different strategies that we use for investing in sophisticated property transactions. 62 strategies. And I've actually worked out if you combine all the different possibilities. As in, there are some of those that are marketing strategies, some of those that are how to finance a property, how to control a property permanently, how to monetize a property. If you combine all those strategies, there's over 25,000 different ways that we invest in property. 25,000! As an investor who's starting to build a portfolio, which of those should you use? Or indeed, if you're an investor who's invested traditionally for the last 10 20 years but have only used one two or three strategies how do you know which ones to then start using I was talking to a gentleman recently he's got 11 properties in his portfolio and and most people would think that's really experienced he's bought them all in the same way he's in most people's eyes got 20 odd years experience but actually he's got one year's experience and he's just then repeated it 19 times and he actually was very light on property education he didn't understand a lot of investment strategy he didn't understand very much at all about risk mitigation and protecting his assets and ensuring he doesn't come unstuck and become a false seller. And he certainly didn't have many tools in his toolkit for monetizing deals. So those are our five topics. That's what we will be covering over the next five episodes. But in today's episode, I will be covering what a deal looks like and where can you find one? So let's dig in. Deals come in all shapes and sizes. I've heard so many different descriptions of what a deal is, and I've actually had clients in the room in front of me say to one another, no, that's, that's not a deal. I wouldn't do that. And someone else say, well, I would, and these are sophisticated investors. So how do you decide what, what are your criteria? Well, the key thing here is the word you, what would you decide? What are your criteria? Because a deal isn't a deal to everyone. You have to work out what you want to buy and it is very different for different people i've just started working on a one-to-one basis with a high net worth individual who wants to invest four million pounds into property basically as quickly as they can i'm spending a day with them and their team week after next they're flying me out putting me up for a night and we're going to spend eight hours together on a one-to-one basis where I just show their team how to find deals, negotiate them, and then buy them using this £4 million. Because the place to do it is probably not how they were going to do it. They were probably going to make a lot of mistakes, spend too much money on not very good deals, and end up with a fraction of the cash flow, a fraction of the capital growth opportunity that they'll actually achieve after my education, after I've worked with them on a one-on-one basis to help them to invest in a educated manner, in a sophisticated manner. That individual is gonna invest in a very different manner to someone who's only got 100 grand. My partner at the moment, has asked me to say at the moment, not planning to change her anytime soon. <laughs> My partner at the moment has asked me, or has recently asked me is what I was trying to say, um, if I can help her to build a portfolio. She has cash to invest, not £4 million, I hasten to add, but... A decent amount of money to invest in properties and I've, we've sat down and we've done a planning session on how many properties she can buy over the next year we've got a 12 month plan and it's not loads of properties it's five or six over the next 12 months and then reassess and then maybe do the same amount over the second 12 months so perhaps 10 to 12 properties over the next two years And the reason we've split it up like that is I don't want to help her to build a portfolio that she doesn't enjoy owning. So what I've said is let's buy a few and then pause. So we'll probably do that five or six in six months and then see how you feel for six months and then if you feel happy and you enjoy how it's going and you enjoy the involvement that you have in your portfolio fantastic we can do another five or six in some regards that's a very similar position to the person with four million pounds but in other regards it's actually quite different (laughs) one of the differences i'm going to be doing the 12 properties for her whereas the high net worth individual They are using their team and I'm training their team. But in some regards, it's very, very similar. Neither of those people want to become full-time investors. Neither of them really want to learn how to do sophisticated property investing. They just want to get their money into property. But because they're doing it at scale, different scales, admittedly, but still both of them are quite a few properties, they're asking how to do it so what does a deal look like and where can they find one and they're saying you know should i go to auction should i use a property sourcer should i be buying stuff off right move etc so what does a deal look like for those people this might sound like a bit of a non-answer but it's the truth it starts with what do you want so why do you want to put money into property and you might think a day is quite a long time to spend with a team that just want to buy property but the first part of that in fact on the first day it's two days because i'm staying overnight the first day i'm going out to lunch with the the individual himself to work out what he wants so he doesn't want to whack four million quid into property if that only gets him a thousand pound a month income so it's not money into property at all costs so what kind of return is he looking for what kind of portfolio where does he want that geographically located how much involvement does he want his team to have on a management basis what kind of strategies is he interested in running does he care does he just want them easy how long does he want to invest for Because With 4 million quid, you can actually invest in such a manner that you never run out of money. So he could quite easily buy a property a month, probably forever more. And then with my other half, what does she want from property? And this is what we did. We sat down and we said, well, what does it look like? Now, she doesn't want to do no money down investing. She doesn't want to have loads of time wrapped up in buying properties and having to buy them super quickly and being under pressure and buying cash and then refinancing etc etc so she's happy to put a couple hours a week into building a portfolio. Of course she's got me she's leveraging me a bit so I've got a day in the diary to go and view a load of properties next week in fact. So what does a deal look like? Here's where I would start. So if you're sat there thinking yes, yeah, so what does that look like? For me, Frank? Well, the first thing is how much resource have you got? How much time? And when I say how much time, that's actually two questions. How much time are you willing to invest per week? And also, how aggressively do you want to invest? So, are you happy to buy one property a year or would you prefer to buy one property a month? And most people to that go, Oh, of course, I'd prefer to buy one property a month. Well, not necessarily, because that's actually a lot of work. It's a lot of work to buy a property refurbish it get it ready for letting and even if you don't need to do loads of work you'll probably need to do a gas safety electrical certificate maybe a bit of decoration then you've got to market the property for tenants then you've got to reference your tenants and then you've got to move them in if you're doing one a month you're probably gonna have four or five on the go at any one time. That that's that's a lot of work. You're certainly not gonna fit that into two hours a week. How much time have you got? How much money have you got? And are you okay if you run out of money? And by that I mean if you've got a hundred thousand pounds, depending on where you're investing in the country, that can be anything from one property. So that would get you a four hundred grand property. If you put a hundred grand deposit down, it might get you a five hundred grand property. If you've negotiated that down to 400 grand and then you put your 100 grand deposit in, or if you're in a cheaper part of the country, I'm buying 46 properties at the moment in a really cheap part of the country up in Middlesbrough. There are properties there for 50, 55,000 pounds. Not all of them, we're buying some of them at 150,000 pounds. But if you're buying properties at, say, 80k then you're going to be able to buy five of them with your 100 grand now yes there's stamp duty on top yes there's legal fees to pay so maybe you'll only end up with four but you're going to run out of money pretty quickly but you might be okay with that because if your goal is to let's say earn a thousand pounds a month net after all costs before tax buying four or five properties let's say four properties where they each earn you £250 a month, that gets you £1,000 a month. On a £100,000 return, that's a 12% return. That for some people is fantastic. Not everyone is judging themselves or even aspiring to get 100% return on their money. Not everyone is insistent on no money down investing. A lot of people just want to put money into property and have it grow for them, have it recession-proof. Rents go up with inflation, which is fantastic at the moment because they're going through the roof. So much so that governments are talking about regulating rent. Capital growth also protects against inflation. So what a deal looks like for you has to start with well, what do you want f- from your property investing? How hard do you want your money to work for you? And once you've worked that out, then you can measure everything against that yardstick. And one of the best ways of looking at it, in my opinion, is is to use the return on investment criteria. So I've just given you a 12% ROI example where that investor would put 100,000 pounds in, buy four properties that net them 250 pounds a month. And that 1,000 pound a month times 12 months is 12,000 pounds, which is a 12% return on 100K invested. That's a pretty good return if that investor's got their money in the bank, earning them 1% a year. At the moment. That investor who's got four million pounds liquid sat in the bank at the moment. Let's just say they're getting a two and a half percent return. That sounds okay, doesn't it? Two and a half percent on four million, that's a hundred grand a year. But actually, if inflation's running at ten percent, they're losing in real terms. 400,000 pounds a year in buying power. So actually net at the end of 12 months, their 4 million pounds has shrunk by 300K. Now you can see why that investor's in a hurry, why he wants to get his money into property as quickly as possible. Once you've worked out how much money you've got, what return you want from that money, and how quickly you wanna put your money into property now you should start being able to translate that into what a deal looks like for example if you want 250 quid per property and you want a thousand pound a month for eighty thousand pound properties are going to probably work for you so you know you're looking for Seventy to ninety thousand pound properties. You know you're going to put roughly twenty k into each one, and you know they've got a cash flow two hundred and fifty pound a month after the mortgage, after the letting agents, after maintenance. Also, if you don't have loads of tradespeople that you know really well, if you don't have loads of time, you just want passive investments. You're probably not going to be buying stuff that needs loads of renovation. You're probably not going to buy stuff that needs new kitchens, bathrooms, etc. One of those forty-six properties that we're buying at the moment, that particular property, the one that I'm um, that, that comes to mind, has got probably fifteen thousand pounds worth of work needing to be done to it. It's got damp in the front bay almost floor to ceiling. So it's likely that it's got rising damp and a problem with the bay flat roof. Fairly big job to sort that out. It's got damp throughout the rear of the property. So a lot of plaster is gonna have to be cut off, chipped off, we're then gonna have to sort out how there's so much damp at the rear of the property. I think it's a combination of issues actually. I think there's some drains that are blocked. It's Very hard to to know when you've only spent 10 minutes walking around a property, but I think there are some blocked drains at the rear it's like a yard a concrete yard and what i think is happening is the drains are overflowing and the water's running towards the house because of the camber on the yard it runs towards the house rather than away from it so i think what's happening it was dry when we went and no one was living there so if you had loads of rain and you had people running all the drains you know running the sinks and that i think what happened is the drains would overflow and all the water would sit against the house so i think we need to sort the drains out we've also got some issues with the rear guttering there's vegetation and you can see where water's overflowed and has run down the wall and that's penetrating There's a lot of damp in the house it's uncarpeted kitchen is really tired so at the bare minimum it will need new doors on the whole kitchen it may need new carcasses especially if it's been damaged by the damp and it needs a new bathroom upstairs electrics will probably need some work so all in all that there that's probably a 20,000 pound refurb which is fine if you've got the 20,000 pound but it also will require quite a lot of management time so for some people if you're handy and you have time to oversee a refurb or you've got loads of tradespeople people whom you can call on that might look like a deal but for my other half for example that isn't a deal at all that would be a nightmare for her and so I won't be sourcing anything that has that level of work because she won't want to oversee a refurb she won't want to check all of that she'd rather pay the extra 20 grand maybe even 25 30 grand for a property that's done up and ready to go much much better because it takes out all that time investment and the risk of it being a £40,000 refurb. And so it's very important to be clear on your criteria for a deal. So in that instance, no more than £30,000, no less than £250 net profit from the property per month, no major refurb works, and in a certain geographic area. And what I've done is I've looked for a goldmine area that will work for her, and I've talked about the types of properties in this area, done an analysis and I found a village, probably no more than the village, probably only 5,000 properties in this area that is a decent distance from her. So she can drive to it quite easily, view a few properties and drive home within half a day. So I've made sure it's close enough that it's practical, but it's not on her doorstep. I've made sure that the ROI is as high as it can possibly be. I'll now go and find a load of properties that meet that criteria. So what does the deal look like? It looks like what you want it to look like basically. And the harder you make that, the more work you're gonna have to put in the more marketing you're going to do, and the slower you're going to find properties and the slower you're going to acquire them. If you're sat listening to this and you've got £25,000, well, you're probably only going to do one deal. And if you only work 10 hours a week currently and that pays your bills, you're going to want that £25,000 to work really hard for you. You are probably going to set that bar really high because what you don't want to do is go buy the property that I just talked about where you put the twenty five grand in and make 250 quid a month And now you're stuck with a 250 quid a month return and no more capital to go investing. You have to pick a strategy. You have to pick a plan that works for your financial situation, works for your time situation, works for your goals, basically your aspirations. Once you've done that, you can then decide where to find it. So where are you going to find your deals? And in... This episode, I'm going to share with you where I'm recommending that those two individuals go find their deals. The place where I'm not recommending either of them is lead sources. And that might be a bit surprising, but I've just come across too many Mickey Mouse deals. And by that, I mean the numbers of Mickey Mouse. I've shared it on the podcast, which was probably about 150 episodes ago. So I'll share it again now. It was a flat in derby and it was about 40 yards from a property i owned and at the time my property i was using a service accommodation and so i was going to it quite often i think i I just bought it and i was setting it up something like this anyway over the course of six months this flat on the market i think it might have even sold at auction and then came off the market and then went back on. It, um, it must have been up for sale about three times in six months. It was on the worst street in Derby, by a country mile, really rough street, where all the drug dealers hung out, lots of prostitution, loads of antisocial behavior. Like people just throw mattresses out of there first floor windows at the front of the property that just like all the rubbish would sit in their front yards and police if you sat there for five minutes you'd see three police cars coming down this street you know it's just really a deprived part of Derby and this flat I, I forget the exact numbers because it's uh, a while ago now but there were comparables from a while ago in the local area for something like 80k but not on that street because if you moved one street away it was actually really close to a hospital but if you moved one street away the area was significantly better and if you moved a quarter of a mile away it was unrecognizable and so this flat in a massive big uh, these are really big expensive houses historically but they've now been subdivided or letters HMOs etc and this flat had been marketed at 80 and then 60 and then 55 and then 50 and then 40. It went for 26,000 pounds at auction once. I saw it and I was like, oh, 26 grand. But the problem is you had awful tenants above, you were only buying a ground floor flat, and I think there were two flats above it. It had all kinds of issues with it, and that was why people were buying it, thinking 26 grand, that's a steal, you know, an apartment in Derby, and they were looking at rents in Derby, thinking, God, I think it was a two bed, actually, two bed apartment, I can get 500 quid a month for that, fantastic, 26 grand, cool. I'll have some of that in auction, buying it, and then going around it, doing it up, some of them were doing it up, and then, like, the boiler would get stolen, and it'd get damaged damaged and then they'd realize they couldn't let it for love nor money and people would say like well there's Toyota in Derby and there's Rolls-Royce you know there's 30,000 employees in Rolls-Royce some of those are going to want to rent your property they'd expect it to fly out actually Derby was at that time massively oversubscribed with accommodation especially share accommodation and low level accommodation and so they couldn't rent it not even at 200 pounds a month and so it was an it was a liability for them what they thought was an asset became a liability and I watched this flat and then I got an email from a saucer, and I remember seeing this email and I recognized the flat straight away because I drove past it every time I went to my service accommodation unit and my service accommodation was 40 yards away but was just off the street it was just around the corner and the reason I did service accommodation is because it was quite a nice three bedroom freehold property, my service accommodation. And we had a lot of working people come and stay there for a week, especially if they were like working in the hospital or working in Rolls Royce or Toyota. Or they were contractors sometimes we'd have that were doing work in Derby City Centre. This is only about 400 yards from Derby City Centre, so very central. And the reason I was doing so, and sometimes we've had like um, people coming for a weekend, for a wedding, you know, a family or a couple, it was three double bedrooms, my property it had off-road parking, it was tucked around off the main drag, so the anti behaviour wasn't directed at this property. It was definitely in a rough area, but we made it really clear in our marketing. It probably would have got about £400 a month, this three-bedroom, really nicely done up. It was an architect-designed property, actually. I'd bought it from an architect. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it probably would have got 400 450 a month in a single AST rent because no one really wanted to live in that area but as a serviced accommodation unit we were getting a lot more than that we're probably getting four times that and so it was quite a cash cow for me because I'd still picked up my really nice three double bedroom property and it had underfloor heating it had smeg appliances it was really nice for £75,000 so that gives you a benchmark for what this really grotty two-bedroom flat was probably worth. And so I got this email from this lead sourcer, or deal sourcer, what a misnomer that is, because it was anything other than a deal. It was blatantly obvious this person was either had no idea what they were selling, so he'd never been to the property, never walked around it, or they were just dishonest and were trying to pull the wool over the eyes of some novice investor. Because what they were saying was this property's worth 80000 But it's available at 26. And so that looks amazing, doesn't it? 70% off or 65% off, whatever the math is. I think they wanted to add 10K or something crazy. Maybe they wanted 8 grand for something that actually was a liability. There was not a deal. And what they were doing is they were relying on the fact that novice investors and perhaps experienced investors... Often confused price with value. Yes, it was cheap at 26 grand, but that wasn't good value. If you could have bought the whole street, and I actually at one point had aspirations to do this, but I don't think I could have done it. So I haven't tried because what I didn't want to do was buy 90% of the street. If you could buy the entire street, at the equivalent of 26 grand a flat, kick all the tenants out, refurbish all the properties, or you could perhaps have even turned it into a gated community. You know, if you could do a deal with the council, then you could make a lot of money on that property. So that 26 grand flat then probably could have jumped to 120 grand if you did what I just described. And of course, there's probably 40 houses on that side of the street all split into three flats or the equivalent of three flats if they're still single properties. So 40 times three is 120. And then you've got the other side of the street. So let's say 250 flats. If you had to add a hundred grand to each of those, now you're cooking on gas. Now you've got a really good deal. And the only reason I didn't try and do that is I couldn't work out a way of doing it without telling everyone, letting everyone know that that's what I was doing. And then you'd have people hold out and you'd have people realise what you were doing. Plus, I didn't have a few million quid to do it with. But you kind of wanted to do that in one hit and sign everyone up. And you could have actually done it on options you could have signed everyone up on options and then bought once you had everyone signed up but not everyone's going to want to sell you're not going to get them all at 26 grand you know that's the cheapest one people are going to want 40 50 60 grand and if they're not even trying to sell then they might want 80 grand you know etc but that's the only way i could see of making money on that flat and that's quite an extreme way of of monetizing it and so this deal saucer was actually charging eight grand to sell a lemon And that's the danger that you think someone's helping you, that you think someone's more experienced than you, but they don't know. And maybe they were just naive. Maybe they hadn't done their homework. Maybe they were being lazy, but it doesn't change the fact that it was there. Put your credit card in now, buy this deal, get it exclusive. Whereas you could have found it the week before in auction. So the one place that I'm not recommending people go is Lead sourcing or deal sources and one of the main reasons for that is a lot of the courses out there aimed at newbie investors are saying it's really easy to set up as a deal sourcer this is how easy it is well the last person you want finding deals for you is someone who's never actually invested themselves and has gone on a two-day course where they've been told that if you push a property out to enough people asking for a five grand fee some mug is going to pay it well that's not someone i want trying to find me properties and what they often are saying on these courses is yeah do four or five of these and then you got enough money for a deposit and then you can go buy a property it's like well no don't try and teach people what a deal is before you've even bought some. So I'd steer clear of deal sources. On the partnership, we have used deal sources, but only a few times, only two or three examples spring to mind. Not tens of them, not regularly, and certainly not to the extent that I use it as a strategy. The acid test for me is I tell, if I get emails and deal sources, I phone them up and I say, I'm really interested in buying. I'm always interested in buying. These are my criteria. If you have anything, will you phone me with it? And they go, actually, I've got one now, Frank. Oh, fantastic. What have you got? And they'll start describing it. I just ask questions because I know all the questions I want to ask. And they go, oh, no, it's not that. Okay, no worries. Well, if you do have something, just give me a call. They sometimes do call you know normally only in the next two or three days and then i'll drop off their hot list i've yet to have someone call me with an actual deal it's always something they're excited about that doesn't meet my criteria and in my opinion is normally absolute rubbish and then they can't be bothered to phone me anymore but they'd be happy to email me because they're probably emailing a thousand people or a hundred people or five thousand people at the same time and so it costs them nothing to waste my time and that's what I think will happen to most people who choose to try and find deals from deal sources so that's why I wouldn't go but where would you go well for my other half I'm going to use two strategies and I'm going to recommend these same two strategies to the high net worth individual who's got the 4 million pounds. And those are two very simple strategies. Now, other strategies will pop up, and I've got like a supplementary strategy I'm gonna share with you. But the first one is donut strategy. And that's what we call it on the partnership, the donut strategy. And all you have to do on the donut strategy is go and spend time with estate agents, build relationships with estate agents. I am kicking this off next week. I'm going to spending a day, i say a day, probably six hours going around all of the estate agents in our target area, in the gold mine area. And I'm going to explain what we're looking for. And it's not earth shattering at all. For my other half, it's no work to be done, a decent return on investment. So I'm going to tell them how much a month I need to be making on each property or she needs to be making on each property a maximum and a minimum purchase price, so value, and then a idea of the type of property, so not interested in leasehold, don't want the complexity, don't want the standing, don't want the service charge, don't want the ground rent, mainly want two-bed terraces and three-bed semis, I know the area, the gold mine area, because I've done quite a bit of analysis on it, so I know what kind of tenants I'm going to be getting, etc, and I'm going to want these agents ideally to manage these properties afterwards not all of them do lettings but ideally i'm going to offer them the letting management afterwards i'm going to take proof of funds i'm going to actually show them a bank statement that shows how much money my other half has to invest in property so they can actually see oh when he says he wants five or six in the next six months he's serious because i can see there's money there to buy that so i'm just going to be completely open with them i'm going to explain the criteria And then I'm going to ask them what they've got and hopefully go and see some on that same day. Now, the really important thing here is to speak to the decision maker in the branch, the actual mover and shaker. It's often the manager, but not always. It's never the T-boy. So you need, before we go into an estate agent, and estate agents are funny because they have a rule often in the branch that whoever signs up the purchaser or signs up the investor, you know, as in takes their details, they belong to them moving forwards. So if you end up on the book of a really junior negotiator, they're never going to be able to get you good deals. They're just going to be able to show you what you can already see on Right Move. What you need is a really motivated, switched on person in the branch that's gonna really grab this by the scruff of the neck and start speaking to vendors and saying, look, you're trying to sell at this at the moment. If you drop 10 grand, I've got this person who can step in and buy this. They're already buying three others from us. We can get yours sold in the next week. We can be instructing solicitors in two weeks. You can have the money in your account in the next two months. That's the kind of person you're looking for in the estate agents. And here's the key thing. It's not enough to go in once. You then need to stay in phone contact with them. You need to be popping back regularly to be touching base with them and making sure that you're at the forefront of their mind, that they think of you when they next sign up a property. And it may be the valuer that you build your relationship with, but it's really important you build a relationship with the mover and the shaker in that office. So that's the first thing do the reason they're not going to like you very much is because you're making them look silly so if they've told because remember they value the property and they tell the vendor what to market the property at and what they can get for a property so if they say this property will get you 110 grand but actually market value is 100 it's going to sit there and not sell if you then come in and say right i'll buy anything at 10 percent below market value as an example you're offering 90,000 pounds But now they're £20,000 embarrassed because they were the ones that gave that £110,000 valuation to the vendor in the first place. So it's really important to see it from their perspective. And rather than say, I want 10% off, say, I just need it to make me £200 a month. I just need the yield to be this. And that way they're doing your work for you. That way they are working out the rent for the property. They're working out the valuation of the property. And they're presenting stuff that stacks up for you. So the next place I'm going to be recommending and I'm going to be looking for these properties is one that I say with a little bit of hesitation because you can come unstuck, but it's auction. And it's because auction is a place where, and I have on the podcast previously said, you know, steer clear of auction. But when I've said steer clear of auction when buying properties, it's because I've been talking about people who want to be doing no money down deals, who want to be doing sophisticated property investing. If you're happy to buy at retail, this whole episode is about buying at retail rather than at wholesale, then auction is not a bad place because you are getting straight to the people who are motivated to sell their properties they are serious about selling because it's not a no win, no fee ball game at auction. You spend between five hundred and a thousand quid just to list your property and you know that it's highly likely to sell. You don't do that unless you really want to sell it. That's the good part about auction. The bad part about auction is that you're in there with everyone else and you're competing, except that at the moment demand is low in auctions. So there's not the competition. So for the first time, I'm now looking at auction properties in years because it's been too popular. It's been too much competition. You have to be aware of all the absolute lemons, things like structural issues, blighted properties epc issues so you know buying something where it's going to be really hard to get it up to the required level of epc so it's actually not lettable. boundary disputes neighbor disputes all those issues you have to be very careful of in auction because it's basically all you can rely on is what's in the legal pack You can't ask questions. Your lawyers can't ask inquiries. So it is really, really tricky. So you do have to be careful. But if you've got a good lawyer representing you, so long as you don't rush, take your time, you do have motivated vendors there. Now, my preference... At auction even if you don't have loads of time is to make offers in advance of the auction don't wait for the auction people just assume <laughs> that you have to play by the rules well there are no rules this person just put their property on the market they've said i'd like to sell it so offer away get to know the auctioneers make offers on their properties most are probably going to say no to you but for the effort it takes to offer which is very very little it's well worth it then you can bid or not bid at auction if you already know what you've offered and you know what you're willing to go to you can bid bearing in mind that most properties will sell quite a bit higher than the guy price possibly not as high as the uh, reserve i had a property that uh, i s- tried to sell in auction a few months ago and it got to within 500 pounds of the reserve and the auctioneer didn't go to the person afterwards and offer to, for them to have it 500 quid more and neither did he come to us and say i got it to within 500 quid do you want to drop your price by 500 pounds which just beggar's belief and um two weeks later we followed up we weren't really on it and two weeks later we followed up and he said oh yeah I, uh, let me oh yes uh, yeah i've written a note 500 pounds short of the reserve so we like say well did you speak to the purchasers he said, no no I didn't actually so by the time we went back to them they'd like moved on absolutely ridiculous he could have earned a whole fee out of it and uh, and we ended up with a property that failed at auction but a lot of properties fail at auction and had someone come to us and offered us Anything around the price it got to in the room, we absolutely would have sold. And of course, once it's failed at auction, we probably would have taken a five grand hit on it, not a 500 pounds hit. So offer before, bid in the auction, and offer afterwards if it fails to sell. And by the way, the ones that fail to sell in auction are the ones that where the vendors are really motivated. So really do pay attention to those ones. So the auction is a good place to buy if you know what you want, so this all is based on the fact that you've worked out what a deal is for you, and if you stick to that criteria, so it's no point going. I want hundred thousand pound houses that are ready to let with less than three thousand pounds worth of work, and then you see something at sixty k in auction that needs twenty grand worth of work, and you think, oh, that's okay because I'll make twenty grand. No that's not a deal for you that might be a deal for a builder might be a deal for someone who is really experienced at renovating property but not for you you're breaking your investment criteria and that's the only hesitation i have with buying an auction really is that you get tempted by something that's not in your criteria oh i can buy a church there's a church there for 90k and i've got 100 so oh that's a massive building i'll go for that and with no monetization strategy behind it so That's my caveat to buying an auction, but the truth of the matter is there's a whole list of motivated vendors there that you can actually communicate with through the auctioneer. Now I've talked a lot on the podcast about sophisticated property investing being a people game. Most people focus on the property first, whereas if you want to be doing no money down sophisticated investing you have to focus on the person and their problem and once you understand that you can solve that problem by coming up with a solution that incorporates their property and that's how you get the deal and that is exactly how you get no money down deals but if you are not wanting to put loads of time into your investing and you're not wanting infinite returns on your property you're just wanting a better than a 1%, 2%, 3% return on your money in the bank, then you don't have to worry so much about the relationship with the vendor. So you can focus more on the property. And that's why I've been talking about the donut strategy with estate agents and uh, buying through auction. The final method, and I said this was like a bit of a tag on method, a bit of a bonus, actually does focus on the people and it's friends and family and who they know. Now, here's an interesting exercise for you. If you are on an iPhone, don't know if this works on Android, but if you go into the contacts where you can search for a contact and scroll to the bottom so it starts at A and goes to Z and if you keep going at the bottom it tells you how many contacts you have and most people have got anything from a thousand to two thousand contacts I have found a few people with less than a thousand contacts but most people have got a thousand to two thousand contacts if they're a networker often it can be more I've got like ten thousand contacts in my phone which is funny because occasionally someone phones me and they think we haven't spoken before for but it pops up on my phone where I met them and who they are. And so it's is, it is funny the number of people you um, come across. For example, I don't think I shared this story on the podcast, but when I came to sell my beach house before I bought the new beach house, someone just knocked on our front door. I was actually having breakfast on the balcony and someone came over and said, hi, are you looking to sell? And I said, no, not this one. This is our new one, but that one over there, I'm looking to sell. Anyway, he gave me his number. And the first time he called me so I dropped him a text or something and said this is my number but the first time he phoned me it popped up that he was a seller of some flats in Milton Keynes and this is my beach house in Filey and I thought that's so odd but it had his right first name because sometimes and I have had this before someone changes their number and by chance you end up with the new owner of the number phoning you that has happened before goodness knows what the chances of that is but it has happened before to me, and this guy I said, um, Mike, his name was Mike. Are you um, by any chance have we spoken before? And he said, I don't think so, Frank. And I said, Well, you've come up in my phone as selling some flats in Milton Keynes. And he said, Oh, I have got flats in Milton Keynes, and yes, I'm still trying to sell them. I've been trying to sell them for a couple of years. And I said, Well, I think we had a chat a couple of years ago about you wanting to sell them I seem to remember you wrote to me and he said oh I did I didn't didn't put two and two together but yeah I found you on the internet and I saw that you bought portfolios and yes I've got this portfolio of flats and so he would bought his personal beach house from me but actually we'd already spoken a few years previous uh, about him selling his flats in Milton Keynes to me we didn't do a deal but it's amazing how many people you actually have in your phone how many people you know so when I talk about friends and family, I'm not just talking about friends and family. I'm talking about all the people you know and come into contact with and letting them know that you're now building a portfolio. And when you do that, you'll be amazed at how many people come out of the woodwork. For example, one of my lawyers, non-property lawyer, has had a property that sat empty for the last 12 years, completely empty. And he said to me when we were chatting, he was like, oh, I must do something with that property. I really should let it out. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is in London as well. Imagine how much rent he's thrown away over the last 12 years of it being empty. And I'm just thinking, oh, I could have helped you with that so much. So there are loads of people who have property problems. Started working with a gentleman recently. His girlfriend's got a property that requires I think he said 3000 pounds worth of works currently empty and he's done a deal with her where he's paying the 3 grand and then they're going to go halves on the rent what an amazing deal that is for him but equally she's not got the 3 grand and it's been empty for however long And so she's now going to start getting an income from it. There are so many property problems out there, but people don't know that you can solve them. So this third strategy, which is a bit of a bonus one, but you'd be amazed how many times you'll do a deal. Of the deals that we do, I bet 10% come from friends and family. Just referrals. It's amazing. I've I've had my leaflet deliverers sell houses to me because I keep seeing my leaflets. And then they pick up the phone and go, you're clearly the guy to buy my house. Do you want to come see it? I've had a really funny help visit where I said to the guy, it was like hypnotism, wasn't it? The fact that you just kept seeing my face and kept seeing my leaflet all day long and then you phoned me. we did end up buying his house, that guy. In fact, I flipped it to an investor and uh, made about 30K on it. Letting your friends and family know that you're buying in a certain area, that you are interested in properties that you can buy, um, that you have money waiting, that you're going to rent them out, Just basically sharing your buying criteria. And if you do those three guys, if you do those three strategies consistently, and it really doesn't matter, you can do them one hour a week, you can do them three hours a week, you can do one day a month. It really doesn't matter, but you will then start to build your portfolio. The deals are not going to be as good as the deals that we do on the partnership. You're not going to get all your money back out within a few months or a year. But what you are going to do is build a portfolio of solid properties, earning you solid returns, which if you stick to your buying criteria, is going to increase your net worth, it's going to increase your wealth, it's going to increase your cash flow. And you've now moved money from your business, from your savings account into property, which in my book is a really sensible move guys I hope you've enjoyed this episode hope you've enjoyed this introduction to how traditional investors can start to move towards sophisticated investors and of course if you enjoy that and you enjoy building a bit of a portfolio you might then decide actually I can spend a bit more time doing this I'm quite enjoying it and you can start to move towards the the more sophisticated end of the spectrum until next time guys Happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.